Welcome back to another episode of the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro and Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. I've got a guest with me on the line. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from our sponsors. So this episode is brought to you by Hylete. If you're not familiar with Hylete, they make some awesome bags and some awesome clothing, both workout attire and then kind of post-race clothing. So if you ever see me outside in long pants, I'm probably wearing Hylete pants because they're like the softest pants in the world. I seriously highly recommend you get a pair. I know Ashley Samples has been racing in their high-leak compression pants for a couple of years. She loves those. And then the race bag I bring to every OCR is a high-leak bag. So I either bring the old Icon backpack, which they don't even sell anymore, but it's awesome. Or I bring the six-in-one, which essentially is like a backpack that you can use as like a briefcase slash computer bag. And then the part of it separates and you can use it as a duffel bag. So I'm really excited about high uh, They are sponsoring the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro team in 2020, finally. I've been emailing them literally every year for the last four years, and they finally agreed. So I'm super happy about that. Uh, love Hylete. We got a link on the CTG Pro Team uh, sponsors in the discount section. It gives you, I think, $20 off of your order. So if anyone wants any Hylete stuff, you can head over and pick some stuff up through there. All right, let's get to our guest. So joining me on the podcast, I have Matthew Hansen. If you've been following World's Toughest Mudders for the last, I don't know, nine years, you might know his name. He's in the top 10, I believe it's been, I'm sorry, the top 10 five times out of those, three of those were in the top five. So very impressive race resume there. Uh, I recently finished this past year's World's Toughest with 95 miles, finishing fourth. He ran uh, Toughest Mudder Central this past year also and beat me. So he ran 60 miles. I ran 60 miles, but he did it faster. And I've been wanting to get him on the podcast ever since then because I know he's got some, some great finishes in his history. Uh, he's also won marathons, 50Ks, 100Ks, Frozen Otter, 64-mile run, as well as some 100-mile races. And he's also a school counselor in Wyoming and a big Packers fan and from Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, like I said, I've been, I've been meaning to get you on the podcast for a couple months now, and we just, I don't know, our schedules did not line up, so I'm glad we finally got you on here. Yeah. It's been a little crazy. It's never really off season for either of us. No. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm taking an off season and then I have a bad idea and then uh, it wildly diverges. Like so, last week? Like last week, yeah. So uh, we're recording this about a week after OCR America 2. Um, I'll probably release it a little bit later, but yeah, so I'm still in kind of recovery mode from that and uh, we can talk about some of that later, but I want to talk about you first because I think my audience has heard enough okay. enough of me and my, my shenanigans. Well, actually, I am going to talk a little bit about more about myself. Kind of funny thing. So after this past World Stop <laughs> is Mudder, I started looking at, you know, I was like one of the things I'm really proud of of myself. And I think it's it can also be said about you. Actually, yours are more consistent in a higher placement is consistency and performance over time. Right. Like, you know, I think having one great performance is good, but having a lot of very high performances over a long time is, is even more impressive. So I know you finished top five in Jersey world's toughest. You finished top five in Vegas world's toughest and in Atlanta world's toughest. 
which is all super impressive because that's a quite a long span of time. But then I was, you know, so I was looking at my results and some of the results from World's Toughest of the past couple of years. And I was like, all right, well, you know, I did 90 miles. It's the second time I've done 90 miles. Like who else has done 90 miles ever, right? And so I sat down and actually looked through all the results and added them up. So there's been 25 people total that have done 90 miles. There's, or more, right? There's been nine people that have done it two times or more. Uh, Trevor Psychos, Chris Mendoza, Ryan Atkins, Matt Hansen, me, Chris Maltby, Robert Killian, Chad Trammell, Jung Young Pack. And there's been four people who've done it three times or more. And that's Trevor Psychos, Chris Mendoza, Ryan Atkins, and Matthew Hansen. So clearly in very good company there, Matt. So I guess let's start off with, you know, kind of what's your, what's your secret with consistency and performance? Um, so I guess uh, my secret is I have a ton of ADHD and uh, that kind of, uh, basically if I don't get out in the morning, I'm not running. Uh, I can't sit down and work or I can, you know, when I was going to college, I couldn't sit down in classes. So I just had to do something. And, uh, I think that the consistency in the finish is just, is, is all about the consistency of the work I put in day to day. Um, which is usually like 10 miles up white mountain, which is the mountain in my town in the morning. And then another couple miles on a treadmill, then about an hour, hour and a half of, uh, CrossFit after that. But I mean, I, I, if I knew that when I started this, if I, I never had any plans of actually competing or doing this. And if you would have asked me in New Jersey in 2000, what was that like 2012? Yeah. 2012, you know, will you be back next year? I'd be like, no, nah, it's like a one time thing. I can't, I can't believe I'm still doing this, but I love it. And I'm going to keep doing it. So I don't love it. Nice. Yeah. I said the same thing after I remember being in the middle of my first world stuff in 2014 and being like, man, I can't believe people do this every year. Eh, whatever. This is a one-time thing for me. I'll just power through it today and then, then it'll be over and I won't have to deal with it ever again. So. And you keep telling yourself that until you get off the course and it's 10 days later. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's back up a little. Tell me about how you got okay. involved in sports in general. Like what did you play in high school growing up and did you play sports in college? So, um, and you'll have to bear with me as I, keep mentioning ADHD. I don't, and it's not a false diagnosis. I, I am diagnosed with ADHD. I have been my entire life. Um, so when I was really little, my parents had a ton of trouble uh, keeping me, for lack of a better word, word, under control. I was never disrespectful, but I was that kid who was like bouncing off the wall in the class that teachers did their best to control, but just couldn't control. And uh, uh, when it was the nineties and swimming was really big and it was year round. So my parents one day were like, you're on swim team now. I was like, well, I don't want to be on swim team. And they're like, well, you're going to do it. So from the age of six years old to 18, I uh, was in swimming basically every day of the week. And on the weekends, I was in swim meets. So uh, that really, that started at an early age. Um, and even to this day, I, I still swear that the hardest things I've done in my life have been in a swimming pool, like hundred mile races, training for all these, like swimming is, is one of the hardest things you can do to train your body. Um, and I, and I, and I'm, I'm from a Island Peninsula in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. So swimming is huge. Everyone swims. And, uh, like I was good on a state level, but in my town, if you were putting down national records, you were nothing. So like I went down in obscurity, whereas if I wasn't anywhere else, I would have been, you know, somewhat decent on a team. But if you weren't going to Olympic trials on a D and then on a D one college scholarship, you know, you just, you weren't considered an amazing swimmer. 
so swimming was the big thing that I, I did when I wasn't in other sports. Uh, I'm incredibly uncoordinated. So at like 140 pounds in high school or 150 pounds in high school, I was a defensive and offensive lineman because I was incapable of catching a ball, receiving a ball, understanding an offensive and defense football. <laughs> but I really wanted to play. And they're like, well, you can be a lineman. I was like, cool, I'll do that. I started as a senior, but that says more about my school than it does about my athletic prowess. Uh, <laughs> and uh, outside of that, I was, a, uh, I was a, a hurdler, a high jumper, and uh, my school didn't have a pole vault uh, pit, but they had poles from the 1980s, and I wanted to pole vault. So my coach was like, you can show up and pole vault if you want. And I was able to uh, restart my school's pole vaulting program from poles from the 1980s when I left my senior year. We had a uh, like $30,000 grant to buy pits and poles and everything. And now there's a pole vaulting program in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. And then when I got to college, I, uh, I kind of fell off. And um, I just went to the gym and I did the gym rat thing, like, you know, 45 minutes a day, hour a day. And uh, I really felt like something was missing. And uh, yeah, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of the background of, of where I am with sports. Nice. And then when did you, like, how far after you graduated college or if you were still in college, did you start doing Tough Mudder or OCR? I graduated high school in 2008. And uh, then I went, I mean, yeah, high school in 2008. Then I went to college. And in college from 2008, 2012, I just did the gym rat thing, didn't compete at all. And, uh, you know, college was rough for me. Um, I never really felt like I belonged there. And I was kind of spinning my wheels and, uh, just nothing ever seemed to click. I switched my majors a lot. And then uh, in 2012, uh, the, the summer of 2012, my sister was like, hey, I see this Tough Mudder thing. Uh, do you want to give it a try? And I'm like, no, that's stupid. Keep on, I was a gym rat. Like, it seemed stupid. Like, I did, I did my 10 minutes of, of cardio on an elliptical or on a treadmill before my hour of lifting or whatever. But the most I'd ever ran at that point was like a mile or maybe two miles. And I was like, fine. Well, and my sister is persuasive and she tells me what I'm going to do, which all sisters do. Um, so I, uh, I agreed to it and uh, we ran our first uh, race, which was the uh, Minnesota Tough Mudder in 2012. Yeah, at this time I was, uh, I, I was real messed up. Um, I was going through just like a lot of depression and uh, I, was, I was struggling with a, a, pretty, a pretty severe eating disorder at the time. Uh, where I just basically stopped eating for a, for a pretty big period. Um, and I lost a lot of weight. And uh, I, I, my sister was like, and this is, I'll, I'll be honest, this is the kind of first time. I talked about this once with NBC, but uh, I didn't end up dropping out of that race, that World's Toughest Mudder, so my interview never made the air. But anyways, um, but yeah, no, I, I struggled with a real bad eating disorder in, in college. Um, and uh, anyway, so my sister was like, hey, do you want to do this race? My thought was like, yeah, I'll lose some weight and I'll run 10 miles. I didn't want to do it, but that was kind of how I got myself to do it in the first place. And we did it and we did really well. We really enjoyed it. Um, it was definitely hard. I remember getting out of it and being like, I can eat whatever I want. This is, you know, it's a million calories in 10 miles. And I just broke everything down into like how much, you know, either weight I could lose or what I could eat after it, just because that's what my life revolves around at the time. It was like exercise and dieting. And uh, I remember we were walking out and there was like this really bad cardboard cutout of like, you know, the nuclear explosion with the guy inside for world's toughest mutter. And there was like a random person helping him like, Hey, what's that? And they're like, Oh, it's the world's toughest mutter. 
it's like this, but for 24 hours. So I'm like, yeah, right. All right. See you later. So I just left. Didn't think anything of it. And, uh, this was in, uh, in June and it, then like August rolls around like early August. And I got an email and I was starting my last year of college as a teacher. And I, I really was excited about becoming a teacher. I knew it was some, something like what I wanted to do, but I wasn't excited about it. But I got this email from Jeff Mutter and they're like, Hey, would you like to run the world's toughest mutter? We know you didn't qualify for anything. Cause at that time you still had to run the sprint lap and qualify. Um, and they're like, but you can apply. And just, you know, as a for fun thing, I applied in completely not tough mutter fashion. A few days later, they call they email me back and they're like, Hey, we're gonna let you run the world's <laughs> toughest mutter. I don't feel like it's a few days. It's crazy. But they're like, yeah, you can run the world's toughest mutter. And uh, they probably just had like a bot sending out those to anyone who applied. Um, but I was like, cool, let, let me, let's run this race. So um, originally I was going to run with uh, three friends and uh, between late August when I agreed to do this and uh, in November when the race was all three friends dropped out. So the day I got there, I just switched from a team to an individual, but let me step back for a second. So I, I agreed to run the race the next day. This in August, I left my dorm because I was still in college, and I ran as far as I could until I couldn't run anymore in a straight line, which was down a highway. And I know, right? It seems like a bad idea. I want to see exactly how far I could run. And then I turned around and I ran back. I walked back, and I was so sore the rest of the day. It ended up being something like seven, like seven miles round trip. And the next day I did it again, and the next day after that I did it again, and then I did that every day without breaks for 20 days. And on the 20th day, I ran the Latham Peak Marathon, which I was completely blown up for. I had no idea, but I'm like, I got to start getting in shape for this 24-hour race. So I'm like, I'll just <laughs> run a marathon. So from, from being an all-day gym rat to running a marathon took me 20 days. And I'm like, well, that was awesome. I mean, I threw up a lot, but it was awesome. And uh, then I'm like, I could run more marathons. So the Lakefront Marathon was like three weeks after the Latham Peak Marathon in Wisconsin. So I ran the Lakefront Wisconsin Marathon in Milwaukee like three weeks later. And that was great. And I love that. That's a great race if you ever get a chance. Totally flat, really fast course. Um, so I, I went essentially in six weeks, I went from just being a gym rat to running two marathons and putting in, you know, 50 miles a week and then lifting on top of that. And uh, then the world's toughest mutter came and it was going to be a bucket list thing. And I was supposed to be running with these friends and I was going to go it alone and they all dropped out on me. And then my dad's like, Hey man, I'll come with you. I don't want you to go up there alone. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know if this is a real thing. You're going to show up and some guy's going to be like, yeah, there's no event. You just paid money. Um, who knows? So he came out and uh, he had my back for 24 hours and it was just me and him. And uh, that was still when you couldn't have any pit crew. They had to stand on the other side of a fence. So I remember I'd be running this race and he'd be yelling over the fence, eat the SpaghettiOs, eat the SpaghettiOs. And like, I had no idea about race nutrition. So we're like, protein's good. So we had a ton of, well, I was eating like roast beef and SpaghettiOs for 70 oh. minutes. Yeah, not oh. a good choice. And like, I just had no idea what I was doing. I was just, I just showed up. I was wearing a wetsuit that was two sizes too small that belonged to my brother. And uh, yeah, it, it just, I, I, for some reason, I, there were 10 mile loops at that time. And we just, we just kept going. And every time I tried to stop, he'd yell over that fence, get up, get going. And I actually slept three hours that first race. Cause that was like the last year people still thought you slept and were still competitive. Um, but 
yeah, there's something about that. I remember us leaving and we were both like, we're never doing this again. We're never doing this again. And like 20 minutes after we left Raceway Park, we were in the parking lot of a Golden Corral and we're like both hobbling in because he had walked like 60 miles. We're hobbling into this Golden Corral and we like sit down and the waitresses at a buffet are like getting us food. And then while they're getting us food, my dad looks at me and he's like, you know, we're doing this next year, right? And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's how I got started. I, none of it was on purpose. And I mean, I can't tell you, I know, I know lately there's been some struggles with what the future of Tough Mudder is going to look like if Spartan, you know, buys them and people have always talked, people have been sharing what their memories of Tough Mudder were. And for me, you know, as lame as it sounds, Tough Mudder kind of saved me from a really bad situation. Uh, you know, I tried to, uh, I tried to keep the eating disorder thing going, um, but I found out pretty quick that I could choose uh, running long distances or an eating disorder, but I couldn't choose both. And uh, I chose the, uh, I chose the running. And uh, when I did that, everything else changed. I, uh, I knew I wanted to do something with schools, but uh, I also knew that it wasn't teaching and I kind of took a hard look at my own life. I'm like, what struggles have I had? I thought, you know, like ADHD, eating disorders. And I'm like, I think that I'd rather be a school counselor. I, graduated non-teaching that year and I applied to go to grad school at Northern Illinois University about three hours south of University of Wisconsin Oshkosh and uh, the following year I started graduate school to be a school counselor going from a kid with F's because you couldn't sit still in uh, in middle school and elementary school and to a 4.0 school counselor degree and I'm back in grad school again to be a principal so I mean I don't know where I would be had I not gotten that email from Tough Mudder. That's so wild. You know, like yeah. I, we've talked at races and, you know, I've known your name for a long time, but like literally had no idea any of that. That's all completely like blindsided me. And that's. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. No one does. Yeah. Like I said, the only people that did was NBC and that interview never got aired. So. And that's amazing to me also because you, you know, you, I hear stories similar to that um, from the middle of the pack. But like from the top of the the pack, you usually don't you usually don't hear stories like that. So it's crazy to think such to the like the deep impact they had, kind of across the entire spectrum of athletes that are showing up to race. So yeah, that's wild, and uh, glad to see you're doing well. Like I, you know, looking at you, I would never have guessed that. Um, you know, like tell people like how much you how tall you are and how much you weigh. Uh, I am about six foot exactly even and i weigh uh 178 pounds yeah so you're not like you're not super skinny or you're, you're, no. you've got you got you got some good muscle on you you know you're yeah no i'm training crossfit too so i definitely have a lot of probably excess muscle i don't need to run with but i like it so i keep it yeah yeah so what you know as someone who went through and overcame uh eating disorder like what advice would you have for someone else who's going maybe going through something similar you know, eating disorders are really hard because everyone, everyone, there's not like one reason why everyone has them. Some people are looking for control. Some people, it stems from a body dysmorphic disorder where they're just never going to be happy with their body, whether it's something that someone told them at a young age or how they were brought up. Um, I mean, it's, I think if you, to first deal with an eating disorder, you have to see where the, what the stemming cause of it was. And that's something that I, I've never, 
I, I, mine stems from a body dysmorphic disorder. Just like, I don't know if it was like media or what, but, uh, that's where mine kind of came from. And, uh, I think that you just need to get out of your own head and ask for help, whether that's counseling or friends or family. And, you know, I wasn't willing to do that at the time. And I'm not going to lie before I was a counselor, I didn't believe in counseling. Um, so I never sought out help. I, I think if you're dealing with an eating disorder, you got to find one healthy alternative, which in my case was as healthy as ultra running can be. I think that's out for, out for debate. <laughs> Hey, um, most of the general studies say it's helpful to a point and then it's not really harmful. It's just not helpful. Like you kind of, yeah. like once you hit like 20 miles a week or something, like it's the health benefits kind of level out. But yeah, then yeah. at some point I, probably, I imagine ultra running, you, you tip over the the top of that pyramid. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not. Down. Yeah. So. But I'll tell you, I can't, I can't tell you. I mean, I spent, I spent a, like 30 hours walking with a guy in the death race who told me, all like all about his addictions to cocaine and heroin and how ultra running helped him overcome that. I talked to somebody during the burning river, 100 mile race in Ohio for like 10 hours where he said he was crippled for years after the suicide of his sister. Um, and ultra running saved him. And, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I heard this saying once, if you want to, uh, experience God, go to church. If you want to meet God, run an ultra. So I don't know. I always thought that was interesting, but yeah, there's a lot of addiction. A lot of people who have used ultra running and obstacle racing to really save their life. And I, I think that it plays a really good role for a lot of people. Yeah, I know. Especially there's, a, there's several books out about people who had um, personal problems that got into ultra running and it literally turned their lives around because it's something it's something that you can get like safely addicted to uh, yeah. kind of. and, you know, like really pour your heart and soul into something. And, um, you know, I think you get a lot of, I mean, I'm, I don't do drugs, but you, I, you get a lot of like really yeah. high highs and a really low lows in ultra, Yeah, right. you know, like it, it's a roller coaster of emotions, oh, even, right? even within one event, you know, like, I mean, you know, world's toughest, like sometimes you're feeling like a million dollars and then other times you're like, like, I would literally do anything to end this right now. Like oh, if you sit down to change a wetsuit or something, or for a second, you're like, I would just sit here forever if I could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's get back into your uh, fitness. So you, you do that first one. Yeah. When did you kind of figure out like, oh, I should actually like train and taper uh, for this instead of just, you know, like piling on miles before the event and showing up on race day? Um, I think that uh, after that first year, <clears throat> I kind of, uh, I, I ran that race and I was done with it. And, you know, we talked about going back next year, but I, I, I knew I would go back, but it wasn't really for real until maybe like a, make, maybe two or three weeks after the first world's toughest mother in 2012. Um, and then I'm like, this is something I want to do because again, I was faced with like that eating disorder was still fresh and, you know, I, I was still kind of faced some of that depression I had in college and I, I saw the, um, running is kind of an alternative and healthy way to get her over that. So I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it for real. So I, I just downloaded every podcast um, about running and ultras and diet and nutrition and everything I couldn't, that, that for that next year, I just soaked up all the information I could. Um, I started mapping out my runs a little, uh, a lot more. I started making sure that I had nutrition, like when I needed it, I started like working on race nutrition 
um, and mimicking my training runs to my race runs. As far as like years of really dialed in training, that that uh, time between 2012 and 2013 was probably my most dialed in year of training. And um, that really made a huge difference because I went from 70 hard fought miles where like the last 20 miles was just a trudge um, to 95 miles. And I ended up, I, I ran, I sprinted out the last two miles of 2013. And where I, and I felt I recovered in a quarter of the time as I did the year before. And it just really paid off. Um, but what kind of what I, I decided was, uh, I always run in the morning. That's it. It's never changed for some reason. That's going to be the, my biggest time commitment. So I knew I had to get up before anyone else did. I'm a morning person. So that first year I got up every morning at four in the morning and I'd go for three hours of running, two or three hours of running. And then I was in, I, I finished college. Um, yeah, I finished college and I, I kind of held that. And then I got into grad school. I'm like, I can work out three times a day if I go around classes. And then I'm intentional with my study time where I'd be like on a foam roller trying to type papers, but I'd run <laughs> in the morning. I'd go to a class. Uh, I had a graduate assistantship. So I'd spend four hours in my office and then I'd go to CrossFit. And then at 5 PM, I'd go do my own workout. And then I'd have back-to-back classes seven to like 10. And then I would just get up and I'd do it the next day. And I would go four days on one day off. And um, that's kind of how, how my workouts have always been. Um, once I got out of grad school, I had to drop it down to two workouts a day, but then I just, now I get, I live at elevation. So I live at, uh, 6,500 feet and I get to run up a mountain and I just spend a little more time in the gym. Um, so that's kind of always been my training. It, it really hasn't changed much. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how, how things went. You know, a lot of it's just consistency. Like someone was asking me about my workouts day to day, um, like a, a week or two ago. And. I was like, I like, I don't talk about them because they're, they're so boring. Like, I don't, I don't I, like, I've just been, I've just been working yeah. out for a long time and like consistently. And that's like, that's how I've gotten better. So I, I definitely hear you there. No, and people don't, I think that's something a lot of people don't get is that it's not real. like, I, I I'll step in a gym and I, I won't look like I'm the hardest work person working there, but I mean, it's not about that workout. It's about all the other workouts that build. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. And you know what you need. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. All right. So you, you mentioned change then. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You, you mentioned um, that you'd done the death race. So tell us a little bit about that. And then I want to get into some of the other races you've done or decided not to do in the past. The death. So I did the death race for two years in a row. That would have been, uh, gosh, that would have been 2013 as well. So I did the 2013, no, yeah, the 2013 death race, which would have been like uh, six months after my first World's Time Smutter. And I remember when I was going to go there, um, I was talking to my dad and I'm like, yeah, it's like a half marathon. It's not a big deal. It's pretty easy. You just like hang out. I had no idea what I was walking into. I didn't do any research, which is par for the course for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm really bad at researching. So uh, we got there and we didn't know that it was a three day race. I didn't know that I wouldn't be sleeping. I didn't prep. I, all I packed for food was Nutella and peanut butter and little baggies. I mixed it. So for three days, it's all I ate. It was horrible. I had the worst canker sores in my entire life. My whole mouth just erupted in canker sores because of all the sugar I was putting in. It was horrible. Oh. Um, but I, I, so we got there and the first day was building. If you ever go, to the farms there the first day was building a beautiful path up that mountain 
and we had several people who are masons so they were like building ledges with rocks and they were, we were building this really nice walkway we we're putting like these huge like one ton boulders down for like the flat parts it's a really nice walkway i hope everyone someone enjoys it someday because <laughs> my blood and sweat and tears went into that damn walkway um so the first day was that the second day uh oh at the end of that uh it was like sunrise so like 6 a.m they had us all sit down and uh someone told us like a nice story. So we're laying down, we had to shut our eyes and uh, someone told us a nice story and someone went around and then they like touch our feet. And if we didn't respond to the touch, you were kicked out. So like they did that for like 30 minutes and there was just a test to see who would fall asleep. And I don't think anyone actually dropped out at that point. So after that, they gave us a big 50, uh, 50 pound rock. And they're like, you have to go three miles to the woods over to the next station. We're going to chop woods you're gonna have to carry that 50 pound rock in front of you. Like you would if you were carrying like a stack of phone books somewhere. Um, so we went over there and then we chopped, we chopped wood for, uh, for like eight hours. I think we had to chop uh, 50 pieces of wood into like six pieces each. And then we had to walk it a quarter mile by hand. Um, so we did that for like seven hours. And then we were, then after that, we were given our rock back and they're like, you're gonna go for a 20 mile hike up blood route um, to a pond. So we, we did, then we did that. Um, and everything was still okay. We're like two days into this race. and like, I'm a little messed up in the head, but I'm okay. So we get to the pond and we had to do a three mile swim. And one of the required gears was a life jacket, which I, I, I'm a swimmer at heart. Like I said, my parents just threw me in a pool and that was my life for the next 12 years every day. Um, but so I, I remember just flipping on my back and, kicking on my back all three miles of swimming and hopping all the water. And I felt 10 times better than when I went in. Um, but I remember like six or seven other people were there with me at that time. And this one guy had come out of the water and I remember him like roll onto his back and scream and pull his foot up and his, the pad of his foot separated and drooped in front of him because yeah. his trench foot was so bad. And it was like one of the grossest things I've ever seen. He was like, <laughs> I can go, just give me some tape. And they're like, and they've been, they're super mean to you the whole time. And it was the first time I, was, I saw them like be nice. They're like, Hey, we appreciate you can go, but there's no way we're letting you do this. Um, so anyways, uh, then after that, we ditched the rock. We went on a 20 mile hike back. And I remember just like seeing people in the woods. Cause at this point it's been like two and a half days and I'm like seeing people in the woods and they're watching me. And I kept seeing a trailer and I kept thinking there's people chopping wood all around me. And I kept hearing things. Only, I was alone and I didn't know if I was on the right trail. Cause like a a ton of people had gotten lost at this point and they were all over in this like big forest like federal forest was preserved and uh so finally i come out on this road not knowing where i am or if i'm in the right spot because i've went through about like 10 forks in the trail and uh i'm walking down this road and also my dad drives up next to me and he's like hey because he came to this one too because he's he's just always there to support me and he like he drives up next to me he's like all right you're gonna go four blocks down and you're gonna take a right and at the death race you can that's fine that you can get help on where to go and stuff like that he's like you're gonna go four blocks down and take a right they're chopping wood again uh and i remember just like like looking at him and just, i started yelling at him really bad and i never yell i'll both the easiest person in the world to get along with being up that it's one it's i feel worse about that than probably anything else in my life and uh he knew i was pretty sleep deprived at that point so we let it go but Oh, I just uh, yelled at him so bad. But anyways, so after that, we uh, we went and chopped wood for another like hour at hour, and then we had to go. Uh, we had to jump. Uh, we had to. They put a zip tie around our feet, and you had to hop up a mountain like a mile and read a sign, come back down, and then 
they'll ask you a question about the sign. And it was a game called Bones. And they would ask you like a rule and you would remember it. So what I did was uh, they zip tied my feet. I had a big roll of duct tape. And then I duct taped the crap out of my feet. I'm like, there's never going to, these are never going to rip. So I, I hopped up there. I came back down and I got the question wrong. So I was like, ah, shit. So I hopped my ass back up there. And I'm like, I'm not running down. So I ended up half rolling and half sliding down on my butt the entire way. And I got to the bottom and I got it right that time. And uh, the, last, the second last thing they did was like, all right, now you're going to go three miles up this road. There's a cave. And they'll tell you what to do with the cave. So I walked up to the cave. And uh, they're like, hold on. We got to wait for a couple other people. We know where they are at this point. They finally found like the few people that they know where they are. There's still people lost, but they found a few people. And like, there's two people right behind you. So you're going to wait for a second. And I was like, okay. So uh, the two people get there. And uh, I remember something that happened at the beginning of the race. When we were signing up and signing our waivers, there's a guy coming around and he said, if you are claustrophobic, drop out now. You won't finish this race. And my first thought was, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. They're just trying to get rid of people. And I'm not claustrophobic. So we march into this cave, me and these two other guys. I'm, uh, I'm in the back. And we start to go in this cave. And this is like, this is like uh, maybe 50, hour 55, 56 hours into this race, maybe 60. And we start going to this cave. And this guy goes, nope, I can't do it. And all we had to do was walk 10 feet into the cave read the phrase, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. And that was it. And then we had to turn around and come back out. The cave was about shoulder width wide, um, just enough room to turn around and come out with our packs on because we had about 100 pounds of gear in our packs. And, this, and, and the guy couldn't do it. And I just remember being like, you've made it this far. And at that time, I wasn't a counselor and I didn't realize how, how deep claustrophobic, uh, claustrophobia runs in people. And I just remember watching that, walking that, watching that guy walk away. It was one of the hardest things I've ever seen in my life. <clears throat> so after that, we ran, we ran three miles back to camp. And then uh, we had some, we had a thousand random calisthenics to do, uh, like hundred air squats, hundred burpees, hundred yard bear crawl, hundred yard swim in this duck pond that smelled straight up like uh, manure. Probably got Legionnaire's disease. But then that was it. And the next day we uh, showed up at a farm, the same farm we started from, and uh, we had to be in a suit with all of our stuff. So I was in this suit um, and they're like going to the barn. So you go into the barn and uh, they're like, you're gonna play a game of war with us. If uh, uh, your card has to be higher than my card uh, and you get a skull, which is like your finisher trophy. And if it's not, you go back 20 miles up blood route. So I was like freaking out because I I was so like messed up at this point that I didn't, uh, reality was slipping away and I was tired and I was my I was sore and I just couldn't do any more of it and I remember flipping the card and he got like an eight and I'm like oh no and I, I like I literally started to cry like I started to tear up because <laughs> I, I really thought this was going to go badly and uh I flipped my card and it was a jack and then I just full out cried and I'm like it's over I'm so happy it's over um and that, that was the first year. And I walked away with my skull. And uh, when That's we were wild. driving away, yeah, when we were driving away, there's still people coming off that they were finding because so many people got lost because there had been a race the previous week that was using the same color markers as the one uh. we were supposed to follow. And then the next year, I was in third place uh, at like 20. No, I was in first place at uh, our like 26. And we were taking this test that I didn't realize was impossible. And it was just a time killer for us to do something for seven hours. And uh, the whole rule was you couldn't talk. 
And uh, every time you asked me if you got something right, you had to do a calisthenic. So I was doing a 30, se- I was doing a 30 second uh, bridge hold and uh, someone came up, a helper came up behind me and they're like, Hey, you got to get your butt up. And I said, what? And they're like, Oh, we got you. You're out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm in first place, dude. I got here first. And yeah. And I got kicked out of the death race the second year, but so it's you- not really about finishing place. Yeah. So you finished the first year and the second year you got kicked out. And then why did you decide not to come back for a third year? I think that was their last year. Oh, was the it? Year, oh no, there's one after that. Yeah. Uh, there was a breakdown of the people who put it on, I, I believe. And uh, there was some, some, some politics that were going on behind it. And I think it's been like kind of resurrected. Uh, it's been rec- uh, Yeah. Resurrected a few times, but yeah. I'm not going back. I'm done with that. (laughs) Well, yeah, you got your skull. I feel like you checked that card pretty well. So, yep, definitely. So so let's talk about some of the other races. I actually don't know. Have you, have you done Spartan races in the past? Like, I don't, uh, we didn't really talk about that in your kind of your bio. The only Spartan race I've ever did. And it's not even a Spartan race is the death race. Uh, I've never actually ran a single Spartan race. So, you know, the big news, and maybe by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be, this won't be accurate anymore, but, you know, Tough Mudder's in dire circumstances, clearly, right? Like their website, as of this recording, is, is not even up. Like if you go to it, it just sends you to an error page. So you can't even go to their website anymore. Um, but there is some sort of like backdoor, or some, some reported dealings of like Spartan essentially potentially buying them out and kind of bringing them back or... Uh, keeping them going, whatever we want to call it, um, but still like under under the Tough Mudder brand. So, worst case scenario, t- let's say Tough Mudder disappears completely. Is is that the end of Matt Hansen's OCR career, or do we switch to something else? What's your What's your plan there? Um, if Tough Mudder folds, you'll see me in Spartan. Okay. Um, I don't. I I'm uh I the only thing that. Yeah, I, I just don't have any plans in quitting. Um, people always ask me, like, oh, are you still doing that? Like, why are you still doing that? I'm like, what's the alternative? Like, this is what I love to do. And if I'm not doing this, I love, I'm watching TV. I'm like, I, I'm a huge nerd for, like, TV, anime, like, Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z, like, anything. I just love television. And, like, anyway, so if I'm not doing this, I'm on the couch. So, I mean, I, I want to do this until I can't anymore. So I, I don't understand why people come from when they're like, you should do something else now. I'm like, what? You're not doing anything. I don't want to do that. So uh, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Um, you'll see me at Spartan. Um, I like hundred mile races. I want to mind putting a little more effort into uh, doing a little better at them. Um, but yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Good yeah. to hear. I always, I don't like it when people are tied too specifically closely to a brand. And it's like, Oh no, this brand's gone. So now I'm gone. So yeah. I don't know. The sport's yeah. more than one brand. I mean, even, you know, I race for Conquer the Gauntlet, but like if they ever disappeared, I would like, oh, you'd still see me. I think Conquer yeah. the Gauntlet would have to disappear. Tough Mudder would have to disappear. And essentially all ultra OCR would have to disappear. And then I, I would still show up to some, some races, but I would yeah. substantially take a step back um, at that yeah. point. So. And for me, for me, it was never anything that I loved. I mean, I like Tough Mudder. I don't think their race is better or worse than Spartan. I think it's different. But for me, it was just, you know, I, I really like running. So a lot of my time is spent running marathons and like ultras and hundreds. And then I just, uh, I did obstacle racing lends itself really well to me. And it's something I love to do, but you know, it's expensive. And, uh, that I, I just, I liked the world's toughest mudder and everything else was training for that race. So it's never been about the money for me. So it's one of the reasons I never kind of took the, 
leap into Spartan was I, uh, yeah. Cool. So what do we have planned for 2020? Again, that was kind of a little bit of a question mark with Tough Mudder being up in the air, but you know, what do you got? So let's say, let's say Tough Mudder continues on as is, um, what else do you have planned for 2020? Yeah. So, uh, that's that's a really good question. So it's I mean probably a toughest somewhere in there. Um, ideally, the Midwest toughest, just because it's my home. It's the one that I I feel like that's that's home turf. You got to defend. Um, if you but, skip uh, if you skip that one, I won't be mad. I'm just saying. Yeah, okay. don't go to that one. You can have all the other ones. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't have I don't have that many plans. Uh, I'm I'm very last second with my races. Like I'm the guy who emails the race director on thursday when the race is on saturday and it's like hey can i still get in this and uh then i show up 10 minutes late and i, I just get everyone a 10 minute head start which is why like if you ever look up my uh ultra my ultra runner account uh i mean i'm just i'm usually when i go into races like that are the world's toughest mudder or toughest i go in dead that's my whole point i shouldn't be running a race if i'm not completely burned out from a week of training so i want to simulate the last 25 miles that's a big part of my training um but also very often I get to races late. Like there's been races I get to 45 minutes late and I'm like, can I still go? And they're like, if you want to, <laughs> like, yeah, sure. I don't care. I'm not trying to win this thing. I don't care. So, um, my, my, my plans, I'd like to, uh, I, I, I really like to do the, uh, burning river hundred, which is one of my favorite hundreds. Um, that's in, that's in late summer. Uh, I think I'm going to do the Moab. Uh, no, it's, it's run the red, run the red, in Moab next weekend. That's a 55 K. And then, uh, those are everything I have scheduled, but usually I, I try to run a couple marathons a week, um, a month, a month. And, uh, then usually a couple hundreds or fifties and Oh, Katsina Mosa. That's a big one. End of summer, Katsina Mosa. If you live in Colorado, Utah, Montana, Wyoming, I don't care anywhere, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, Katsina Mosa is a hundred K in uh, the Wasatch Range near Salt Lake City. It is the coolest race ever. It's like all single track. There are huge, it's got a ton of climbing. It's a small race. Uh, it feels very much like a family. Uh, like the guy who runs it is amazing. Um, that's that's my, one of my favorite races to run. You'll never catch me racing it. I've also gotten lost the last two years in a row. I get lost a lot in races. I'm very bad at following. No one should ever follow me. Like if you're following me, you should be worried. Um, but, uh, yeah, last year I got, I, I got lost. Um, I don't know how, but I, I went, I went eight miles off course and, uh, then I started following a river and then I, I found somehow back where I was supposed to be. And then I continued on. Um, it was horrible. I was like thinking I'm going to be eaten by a bear. Like if I follow rivers long enough, I'm, am I going to get to civilization? Like I started freaking out, but, uh, yeah, I get lost a lot. I'm very, bad at paying attention um but yeah so uh a lot of marathons katsina most is on the schedule probably the midwest toughest and then world's toughest mutter if it's still around if it's not i'll probably head to europe um i don't want to burn that many sick days but i will uh because i need something to train for i like having something out there so i'll go there um not much for uh world championship ocr uh I don't know why. It just, it just feels like another, it's just a race company who's just marketing themselves as like the greatest. So I, I kind of stay away from that one. Not that I have anything against it. Just, it's just not a, a race for me. Yeah. And then I'm not, I'm not that competitive, you know, 
I, 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 I'm mostly in it just for, cause I like to do all this stuff. Yeah. For, for me, OCRWC is usually not as high on my priority just cause like you said, I'm, I'm not competitive at that distance either. So um, me either, but I need, I need some length to stretch out my legs. Yeah. I will say the, the atmosphere there is phenomenal. It, you know, is it? I've never yeah. Kind of like world's toughest, but different because you're getting people in from all over the world and you, you know, you're getting like 50 nations showing up and they're all really obsessive about OCR. So that it's not like the community feel like, like world's toughest mother is where people are helping each other and stuff like that. But it's just uh, a convergence of like obsessive people that are willing to fly from across the world to run a race uh, specifically. And then, you know, and then the obstacles are not, they're not all adventure obstacles. Like they bring in obstacles from other brands. It's like their whole, it's like one of their things. So you get kind of get a mix oh, cool. of mix of other brands theoretically like combined into one brand. So yeah, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. They're pretty good. And uh big fan of them, even though again, I'm not super competitive at that distance. Hmm. Well, anyway, let's start, uh, let's start wrapping this up. And usually okay. when I have someone on the podcast, um, I've been asking them, you know, tell me one thing about you. People would be surprised to know. And I know we've, I feel like we've learned already a lot about you, but is, are, are there any other gems that you want to share with us? Uh, people would be surprised to know about you. It doesn't have to be about OCR. It should be about you in general. A uh, few gems. Um, at one, one time, I broke the record for kicking myself in the head in one minute during a Mr. Door County, which is where I'm from, pageant. And I kicked myself in the head 120 times in 60 seconds. What? I, I'm speechless. I don't even know... Are are we are we bending at the explain? It's like explain a, how we're doing it's this. like if uh, if you're gonna do a pigeon pose in yoga, like you carry your knees like bent uh, sideways. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you bend your head over your side of your foot hits it's uh your head not hard it's got to be quick so you don't right yeah I mean if you're doing 120 that's uh yeah two a second so yeah I did it in the one of the reason I did it was because there was a judge uh, a local judge who was uh, one of the people who was deciding who won. It was a fundraiser thing. And uh, that was one of, the, one of the Guinness Book of World Records stipulations that you had a judge watch you if they couldn't send someone out. They weren't going to send someone out for that. So uh, I did that, and uh, I, I, I never ended up sending it in. I, I, got, it was, I was 18, and I was like, oh, it was fun. I'm done with that. Um, so did you break the record officially? <coughs> <clears throat> oh yeah oh yeah i shattered it at that i don't know what the record is anymore but at that time it was like 78 and i i broke it i, I hit like 100 at like 40 seconds i just started messing around um but yeah so i, I gave that one up another another gem i've been collecting pokemon cards since i was eight and i have forty thousand of them holy crap yeah bought a lot of uh collections off craigslist that's wild. Yeah. Um, how many gems do people share? I, I usually only I one, but these are pretty oh, good. <laughs> I got two. <laughs> and then I usually share one. So um, Yeah, you tell me one. For my stupid human trick, I'll go with I can I can wiggle my ears, which I guess is kind of bizarre, right? So I can do one at a time, left or right, yeah. or both at the same time. Um, not nearly as exciting as kicking yourself in the, in the head 120 times, but <laughs> I'll make it work. And then other one for collecting there stuff. Um, I'd say one of the weird things, I have a, I have a decent sized knife collection. So I used to collect knives when I was in high school. Uh, and uh, I think at one point oh, I had cool. like 70 
and then I gave a bunch away. I wow. think I got close to like 50 now. And they're actually, um, I actually have a jewelry armoire. Like it's like, I don't know, maybe three, four feet high. And, but instead of like bracelets and stuff in there, it's just full of knives. So if you see, if you, if you try to rob my house and you want to steal the jewelry armoire, cause you think there's a lot of money in there, there's not, yeah. it's just knives. <laughs> And some of them there are going to be like concerned. Someone's going to rob you and like do a wellness check. Like this guy's got a lot of guns. Can we get someone to go over there and check <laughs> on him? So, but yeah, I used to collect knives and uh, I still have a bunch. And some of them are, some of them, a lot of them are cheap. Uh, they're just like stuff you order out of the back of the catalogs. And some of them are, are super nice. And uh, some, some I got from work. Some are, you know, all sorts of varieties, right? Like butterflies and auto knives and like, rambo type knives like the rambo form movie knife i have that one it's just i like that one because it's like a big slab of steel type thing but yeah fun facts you know i i get that because every once in a while i'll be doing something with a knife and i'll be like thinking this knife is awful and then every once in a while i'll get a good knife like someone who knows knives will have a nice sharp knife on them and i have to do something with their knife and i'm like really i'm always impressed by how nice a good knife is to yeah. do something with compared to something that's dull and has been sitting around the kitchen for five years. Yeah. My, my wife usually carries a nicer knife than I do actually. So my, yeah. my wife usually has a bench made on her or a spider cut. Uh, bench <laughs> my, really good company. They're like a hundred dollars for yeah. a folding knife. that's small. So my fiance is, uh, she's got a, uh, she always keeps a big knife in her boot. She's, she's very scared of being abducted. So she keeps like a knife in her boot. Her keys have a dog, a pug dog on them, but what they really are is brass knuckles. It's nice. like a silhouette of a dog and she's got pepper spray and she keeps a nine millimeter on her. Someone's going to make a really big, and then we have a big German shepherd Husky that someone's going to make the wrong mistake one day of trying to kidnap her. <laughs> you can never, hey, better to be safe than to be sorry. So mm -hmm. absolutely That's smart. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Um, Matt, thanks again for coming on. We learned, I mean, we learned a, ton about you that i had absolutely no idea so that was wild and very interesting so thanks for, yeah, thanks for no, sharing that, your story that pokemon card thing's crazy yeah <laughs> yeah where do you keep all of them <laughs> oh lots of in ultra pro binders it's the only binder that doesn't have like a resin on it so it keeps the card safe that's the tip ultra pro binders yeah, that is a good tip yeah so how many binders is there like a literally like a several bookshelves full of binders oh all the unrare ones stay in a Tupperware box, but all my rare cards are in probably 15 binders that all hold 360 cards. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. my, my, my teammate, uh, Wesley Kerr from when we were team Maryland team. At the I moment, like Wesley. I know plays like he was still playing Pokemon go, uh, like in the last <laughs> year. I don't know if you ever got into that, but. Um, I did a little bit. I was waiting for you to say he was playing Pokemon Go during a race. Like, all right, just let me get this. <laughs> There's probably some good ones out of World Stuff as some some rare ones mid course. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. Yeah, we'll let you go. Uh, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, still have Blegmit lights in stock. Blegmit Extremes back in. Other than that, uh, my book Ultra OCR Man is available hard copy from the website and then you can also find links for digital and it's now on audiobook also for those of you who prefer to listen rather than to actually sit down and read so you can check that did out did you narrate it i did not narrate it actually so oh. the i narrated one of my other books conquering the gauntlet one of the short ones just to kind of test it out and audible was basically like 
here are a thousand things wrong with your, your narration. And I was like, sweet, that's going to take a long time. And I just hired someone. So yeah, it was weird. It was weird having someone speak back to me in my own voice with my own thoughts. Uh, But once you got used to it, it, like it was only weird for me. It won't won't be weird for someone else uh, listening to it. And he does a really good job. I mean, he's a professional, so it came out really well. Yeah. Um, But yeah, if anyone has audible or audible credits, you can use an audible credit and pick that up. Or if you don't have audible, you can, just buy it straight off of uh, Amazon or Audible. So it's like $19.99 if you're not a member, and it's like $13.99 if you are a member, and uh, or Audible credit. So yeah, people can check that out. And then uh, right when this comes out, our fundraiser for OCR America 2, the Folds of Honor Scholarship Money for Children whose Parents Were Killed and Wounded in Action, should be just about getting ready to close. So if you haven't donated, please do as soon as possible because we're going to shut it off uh, before the end of the month. So, um, as of now, we're a couple hundred dollars short of our ultimate goal, but, uh, yeah, please donate. And, uh, if you haven't gone over and seen the Stoke shed videos from OCR America too, please go over and see those. They are amazing. Uh, he took, Bobby took like 11 hours of footage and condensed it into like three minutes that are actually super interesting. So, you know, if you ask me, I think that's the future of OCR coverage where you're taking lots of footage, condensing it down into bite-sized clips that are people can digest and consume and spread and it has an interesting story. It's not just, you know, two hours of guys running around the, through the woods and climbing over walls. So check them out. Stoke shed. All right. We're going to go, uh, Matt, any final shout outs you want to give friends, family, sponsors, brands, et cetera. Shout out to, uh, Wisconsin, which is not a sponsor of mine, but I love all their stuff. It's a cool brand with Wisconsin skull. Shout out to my, fiance Courtney for coming to races with me and big shout out to my brother who's been part of my support crew for the last eight years and kicks puts my ass into wetsuits when I don't want to get into wetsuits and uh my dad and my uncle Joe and the rest of my family too my sister Mary who uh all my support staff comes from family and I really appreciate that awesome well Matt it's been great having you on and hopefully I will see you at toughest central this year I will see you there. Don't put me in the med tent this year. <laughs> I'll try to. I All right. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. You too. Bye. <laughs>